This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Coca-Cola, apparently. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Heavy Metal Week on Pod Cemetery. With our classic film 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare and our modern film 2015's Deathgasm. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What was Candyman's weapon of choice? Well, it depends. Do you count the bees? No, it was his hook hand. <laughs> not the bees! <laughs> not the bees! Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, no, my eyes! My eyes! Ah! Ah! <laughs> yes, it's a hook. All right, Kelsey. The writer and star of our first film is John Michael Thor, who was yes. a former bodybuilder. Okay. He performed on stage as part of a heavy metal act called Thor. While on stage, he was also prone to doing feats of strength, like bending steel bars and bursting what with just his lungs? Oh, it was that thing he would blow up. Yep. I don't know what that was. It was a hot water bottle. Those little rubber hot water bottles. Oh. Those, they're, they're thick rubber, and he would do that on stage with just his lungs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heavy metal. <laughs> metal! <laughs> that brings us right into our first movie, 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare, written by John Michael Thor, directed by John Fasano, and starring John Michael Thor, Gillian Perry, and Frank Deets. Wait, he wrote this? Yes, he wrote it. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Rusty Hamilton, who was the seductress who we see in one scene, and she has big tits. That is uh, actually John Michael Thor's wife. <laughs> she is also in this movie. <laughs> sure, he'd appreciate the way you just talked about his wife. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's the point. That's the reason why. She doesn't even have a name. <laughs> film was originally called The Edge of Hell, but uh, the producers wanted to sell it on home video, and they renamed it Rock and Roll Nightmare. That's why when you watch this, where we watched it, it says The Edge of Hell on it. Well, are we going to put it under as Rock and Roll Nightmare? Oh, absolutely Rock and Roll Nightmare is what it's going uh, okay. under. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is Rock and Roll Nightmare about? Can you remember? <laughs> you I, remember I remember. Happening. I read through all of my notes before we did this so that uh -huh. I was prepared. I'm glad you are because there are no thorough synopses online. Oh, no. I've got this. Okay. The problem is, why lie to our audience? It's all lie, people, and I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> what is the premise? No. What is the premise? I refuse to lie no, to my listeners. No, this reveal is incredible. If you haven't seen this movie, this re I was on, I sat up. I was laying in bed when I watched the movie, and I sat up, and I was like, what? <laughs> what? We are not going to spoil that for the audience. Kelsey, what is the premise 
of rock and roll nightmare. <laughs> a heavy metal band goes to a farmhouse in Canada to record heavy metal music. And it's at the edge of hell. <laughs> there are demons that show up there. I guess. <laughs> Now, you can rent or buy this movie on Prime Video for $3 to rent and $9 to buy, or you could just watch it for free on YouTube like we did. Don't worry, you still get all the nudity. <sighs> Should people watch Rock and Roll Nightmare? Not anybody who wants to see an actual movie, but anybody who wants to be entertained and baffled. Oh, it was a delight. Do it. <laughs> This movie is highly entertaining and seriously baffling. If you want to know the type of movie that it is, they did also cover this on Red Letter Media's The Best of the Worst. And Rift Tracks has And Rift Tracks has a Rift Track of it, so maybe you can watch even it that way. Worse about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare. If you were hoping for a trailer right here, I gotta apologize to you. There is nothing online. Just, it's crazy. It's heavy metal. There's a wicked twist. It's bad in all the good ways. I'd watch it. All right, Kelsey, let's get into it. How does the movie begin? We open on a family living in a farmhouse. Sure. <laughs> and the mother is making breakfast. The kid is upstairs reading and the father is shaving. Okay. The mom calls them downstairs. But then we get this really weird shot of them out of the outside of the house. And there's like this thumping music. You know that thing where you go in slowly, but you're also zooming out? What do you call that? It's called the dolly zoom. So they do a dolly zoom with this weird thumping music. And the music goes longer than the the dolly zoom does. Yes. Uh -huh. And the dolly zoom is very awkwardly done. It's like slowly going. And you're like, this isn't how this is supposed to be used <laughs> at all. This is just weird and uh -huh. awkward. And I guess that was our key to know that something crazy is going on in the house because next thing you know, mom is screaming and there's a red light coming out of the, the refrigerator. Yes. And then a skeleton pops out of the oven. Yeah, the dad finds a skeleton in the oven. And at first, I thought it was the demon thing that was harassing the mom. But apparently it's the mom. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Don't. It's not clear. I wrote down, oh no, what is that skeleton in the oven? And I will proceed to write, oh no, before every single effect in this movie. I would argue that the skeleton is probably the best effect in the film. <laughs> then the kid sees it and he's like, daddy. And then he, then he starts to scream. And then we get a low shot crawling up the stairs. So we automatically know there are multiple different types of... Demons. Demons that we're going to encounter. 
and we get this this is this uh like pov of a demon running around the house almost like evil dead style where it's just around the house is being intercut with the title sequence right so we get you know the edge of hell we get all the actors and everything john michael thor and <laughs> then it cuts to nothing it cuts right to john michael thor playing john triton the lead singer of the band the Tritons. The Tritons. With a Z. Uh-huh. <laughs> driving the tour van forever. Yes. Not intercut with the title sequence, which would have been a great opportunity to do that, but they don't. Apparently, the runtime was not long enough, and so they padded it in a couple places, but more noticeably here oh, in this drive. I say that they did some padding <laughs> i would say that there is loads and loads of padding but in this, this film. scene i wrote down jesus this is interminable it just goes on forever and literally all you get is john michael thor driving in the van and some music and that is all you get okay so i was really lucky here okay when the credits come on I typically will just skim through the IMDb page and see if anything strikes my fancy. Uh-huh. And you know how trivia, it gives you, like, one piece of trivia on the main page? Yeah. And it's always just something random? Well, the one that I saw was about how long it was, so as soon as that segment started, I was like, Sudoku. <laughs> and I was like, I know this would take a while. And I was sitting there, and I was like... I'm shocked that this is longer than I thought it was going to be based on that description. How many puzzles did you solve? I don't remember, but I was like, this is absurd. It's ridiculous. And then, oh my God, and then they show up at the farmhouse and they get a crane shot in here. I wrote down, is this a crane shot of the farmhouse? And they get it from like multiple angles and the the van coming in from multiple angles. And it's like, man, they are really just getting their money's worth out of this equipment that they have. Mm-hmm. And so they show up in the van to this farmhouse. So what happens? So Phil, the manager, explains that this is going to be their new home for the next five weeks. They have no telephone, no TV, but... The most kick-ass recording studio. 24-track recording studio, which is hilarious because they have two guitars, a keyboard, the drums, and the microphone that they're not isolating in any way whatsoever. Yeah, I they thought do not have weird. They do not have any need for 24 tracks. So, to be clear, 24 tracks doesn't mean you can record 24 songs. What it means is you can put 24 individual tracks at the same time. So what you'd normally do in this instance is you would isolate all the individual instruments and the singer yeah. and the backup vocals and seen. all this stuff and you'd put them together on separate tracks. And they're not doing that here. It's just they're performing on a stage in the middle of a bar. Well, but every time they do it, don't they say that they're just rehearsing? But he's recording. <laughs> he's recording on a single reel, by the way. So it's like... Which doesn't make any sense because you told me that this guy actually recorded music. Wouldn't he know how this works? Well, they probably don't have a lot of money to spare on this movie, I would assume. So they're they're hoping that we don't understand. Well, I mean, what, what a lot of bands like this do is they rent recording space. And so they don't they don't have their own recording stuff. So 
they wouldn't be able to set up a barn to look like a real legit recording space. So again, they're hoping that we don't understand. Yes, absolutely. Okay. John Michael Thor explains that this is exciting because there will be no distractions, but the drummer Stig, apparently. Oh my god. I wrote here real bad British accent is what I wrote at first. He says, hey, really, mate, what are we supposed to do here? Hey, really, mate, what are we supposed to do here? And I'm like, oh, my God, that's a really bad British accent. And then later on, I'm like, oh, no, he's supposed to be Australian. That's what all the mate is all about. And it's really bad. It is a very bad accent. (laughs) So what about Stig? I was reading through reviews of this film. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was a review that was supposedly written by somebody who knew the people who made the movie. Uh Uh-huh. And they wrote that the guy who did that voice Uh did it because he was a huge fan of Monty Python and he meant it to be funny. Does Monty Python do some sort of funny joke on accents or something? Well, they have a whole thing. The Bruce sketch, which is about... Australian philosophy teachers, and they're all named Bruce. And is it Good way eye, over Bruce. the top? Oh, yeah. No, it's very, very over the top. Good eye, Bruce. Oh, hello, Bruce. Hi, Bruce. Big crook, Bruce. Where's Bruce? He's not here, Bruce. Blimey, he's not near, Bruce. But he does not even remotely get close to nailing this. It's obvious that it's dumb, and it's, <laughs> and it's obvious that he doesn't know what he's doing, and I think that is part of the fun, but it, it's also a signal to the audience not to take this movie seriously. Right. But you don't think that he's trying to be funny? Oh, I'm sure he is. Oh, okay. But he's not He's not pulling it off. <laughs> but yeah, so he's like, but why Canada? Or whatever yeah, he says uh-huh. it. Friggin' great. But why Canada? And that's when you find out they are in Canada. And they all kind of have Canadian accents. Well, John Michael Thor is Canadian. Right. But like, they pretend like they're not Canadian? They put a little uh, fake, um, you know, one of those license plate inlay things when you don't have a license plate on the front or whatever they put that underneath the front license plate and it says like usa number one or something like that so why (laughs) are they so ashamed of being canadian well because i don't know i don't know but he is he is praising the uh, toronto art scene yes he does say this is where it's all happening the music the film that like you know so the art like you know yeah he it is a big commercial for the Toronto art scene. Because Toronto's where it's happening, man. The music, the film industry, the arts. Stig's girlfriend is like, no hot tubs, no dynasty, and she is not happy about it. That's Luann. She makes the joke of, why couldn't you have been a coke dealer or something sensible like that? Uh-huh. The dopey... What is he? What does he even play? He's the bass player. He's the bass player. Yeah, the dopey bass player who looks a lot like I don't even know, but he reminds me of somebody else, and it it irked me the entire film. But I could never think of who he reminded me of. Well, he is newly. No, he's not newly married. No, this is he's making googly eyes. Yeah, he's making googly eyes at the keyboardist who's also in the band. They're Dee Dee. actually really adorable together, the yes. entire movie. They're really cute, yes. And then there's Roger, Roger Ebert, by the way. Really? Yes, except it's spelled with a U for some reason, uh, is newly married to this 
seemingly straight-laced woman who's also there with them. So, like, there's a woman for every man. Oh, did we mention that John Michael Thor is there with his girlfriend or wife or whatever? (laughs) She's also there. I think she's just his girlfriend. I think the implication is that... The only married couple are the one that just got married. But you're you're wrong. Roger and Mary. There's not a woman for every man. Oh, Phil doesn't have a woman. Phil does not have a woman. And he is so cheap that they don't have a roadie. And now he's going to be making all of the food. Uh Uh-huh. So I wrote down, the harbinger tries to tell him, but Archie dude doesn't listen. And I say that because Phil has an Archie fan club jacket on, like the Archie comics. Another one? What do you mean another one? A second movie in a row that has a reference to the Archie comics? I guess, yeah. uh Random. And the owner of the place, or the guy who's the landlord or whatever, is renting the place out to them, is trying to, like, tell them the story of all these famous rockers that have come by here, and he gets all their names wrong. And all Phil wants is just the keys, and he's trying to get the keys out of them. And finally, he forces him to give him the keys, and he just walks away. But then this dude, as, like, the harbinger says, oh, you'll see. And you'll see. Which doesn't make any sense when you know what's actually happening. Yes, uh-huh. Or maybe he is just actually the landlord. And he knows that the family got killed there. And that people see things there. And it's just a thing he's trying to warn him about that. Are we supposed to believe him when he tells him that, like, Alice Cooper has actually... I think, recorded there? I think yes, but I don't think it matters. But it does matter if 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 the devil's there. It certainly does matter. Why did the devil attack this band, but not Alice Cooper? Yes, that's a very good question. I don't know. It's at this point that I wrote, no, wait, he's Australian. <laughs> <laughs> that night they are having dinner. There's this weird scene where... John Michael Thor will make some stupid toast. Oh, it's about the couple that got married. And then... Yeah, so to be clear, the married guy is the bassist. The other dude, the the dopey, the dopey dude, guy. is he's lead guitar. Lead guitar. Sorry, yeah. Because later, I know this because later, <laughs> the married guy, they'll make an excuse for him that he's spending time with his wife and so he's not playing. And then Thor picks up the bass guitar the bass guitar that doesn't have a head. It's just all neck. Anyway. So, John Michael Thor will make a toast to the couple who's newly married. After which, the drummer's girlfriend will go, oh, Stig wants to make a toast, too. And then Stig says something dumb. Mm-hmm. And she gets mad about it? Yeah. I guess she wants higher status within the band. Stiggy has a toast. I do. What idiot! We have to be thankful for. Uh, uh, um, I'd like to propose a toast to our Phil, who came up with this wonderful dinner for us tonight. So then the guys are gonna get up and rehearse. So the women are going to do the dishes afterwards. What's baffling about that, Kelsey? Well, the guys have to go rehearse. So obviously, the only people who are left are the women. It just happens to work out that way, right? What's baffling about that? The keyboardist is one of the... Dee Dee, the keyboardist, is one of the women who does the dishes. But then she'll leave halfway through it when right. they're starting. But the whole point that the women are doing the dishes is because the guys have to go play the songs. I know. I don't understand. Remarkable. It is. <laughs> Baffling. <laughs> <laughs> 
and at the same time, we get the drummer's girlfriend who's like, I'm not a housewife. I don't do yeah. dishes. And we get this stupid scene where they're, like, dancing in the kitchen doing the dishes. Uh-huh. And they have this stupid, like, do, do, what do you call that? Like a train Oh, yeah, they they have an assembly line where they have too many people, so it's actually slowing them down, but they needed they needed business, right? They needed something for everyone to be doing. Right. So, yeah. But so, Dee Dee leaves, so then the rest of them leave. Yeah, okay. well, I guess we're just done with the dishes. Yeah. Okay, this is a theme. I will tell you right now, there are three dishwashing scenes in this movie, and we just saw the only time anyone eats. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, that's what I meant when I said there's there's tons of padding in this film. So, we then get a music video. We live for rock. Is that what they were singing? Yes. I tried to figure out what they were saying, and I was like, rock, talking about rock, <laughs> breathing too, rock, all about rock. I was like, I think that's those are the words that they're singing. <laughs> What were they saying? We live for rock. We live for rock. Yeah. Okay. So those might be the lyrics, actually. That's, that's what I was hearing. Listen, they're, writ- they're written by John Michael Thor, the song. So, like, not no, that's not true, actually. They're not. Oh, my God, that's right. He didn't write, like, any of these songs. Somebody else wrote them. Then we get a bizarre sequence. So this is our first monster? Uh, well. Since the band the, showed up? The, the, the camera, like, goes underwater while they're playing. <laughs> and we get this wong 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 sound. Yeah, yeah. And so the uh, the impression that I got is that we're seeing Luann's point of view, Stig's girlfriend, and and the camera is looking at Stig. <laughs> so like, okay, we're and I, something's wrong with Luann. I guess I don't know. I couldn't tell who I was looking at, and I and I was just like, is something happening? Am I? Is something happening? And it's not. Nothing is happening. But meanwhile, up in the booth, we get a little pink Cyclops monster. (laughs) Who just like convulses over Phil's drink. No, you need to describe what it looks like. It looks like a penis with an eye on it. It's like, what if what if the Jim Henson studio needed to create a Cyclops penis puppet with hands, right? <laughs> there are a few of these in the movie. And it's just like, it has its mouth open. It's just like. It looks like it's trying to vomit, yes. but nothing is coming out. But there's up. just like a little like Vaseline or something dripping out of its mouth. And a little bit of that gets in the drink. And, and then des- Phil drinks it. They're desperately trying to get it into it. Yes, because you could tell the dude in the puppet just like shaking his hand. Like. Fall off the lip. Just get in the cup. <laughs> yes. And, but it looks like the creature is trying to throw up and it just can't. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, why am I watching this thing try to throw up? Yeah. it's it, And it's for too long. Yes. 
for far way too, too long. long. But Phil drinks it, and that's the end of that. But they're ending the song, and the last cymbal crash can't happen because as Stig goes to hit it, the drumstick breaks. And so we don't get this final cymbal crash. And I'm sorry, but if you had this big complex recording system, you can record that cymbal crash and put it in later. Yes. Like, come on. I don't understand. But they're like, we're going to start from the top. And Phil says, don't worry. I know I'm dealing with Stig here. I bought a box of drumsticks. I'm going to go down into the basement, which is apparently where I put them, (laughs) and go get them. When Stig gets off the drums, his girlfriend comes up to him and she goes, you make me so hot when you're so forceful. And then he goes, ha, and then walks away. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? And then we see, oh, God, the dopey guy makes a joke. Somebody says something about the man, the boy wonder or something. He goes, yeah. Wonder how he's his, our manager. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! There's a lot of bad jokes like that. And that is when we will cut down to the manager downstairs, and who approaches him? Luann. She comes down, all hot and bothered. You know what makes a woman hot? And then what does she do when she finally seduces him? Because at first. I'll say this for the guy. At first, he's like, uh... No, he is super hesitant. He's like, I don't think Stig would like this. (laughs) And she, like, takes off her top, and he's like, I know this isn't happening. She grabs his hand and puts it on her breast, and he's like, like, he's, like, pulling away. And then she, like, pulls him close, and then her head throws back, and we see, I wrote down, oh, no... That mask. What is that Luann monster? (laughs) Oh, God, that mask. And then she bites into his shoulder... And at first he's kind of into it, and then he realizes what's happening, and he screams, and she rips off the flesh from his shoulder, which, you know, of all the effects in the movie is not the worst one. (laughs) But it's obvious that this isn't like an articulating mouth that she has, you know what I mean? It reminded me slightly of the vampire face that they were ashamed of. In, um... Fright Night. Fright Night, yes, yes, yes. That's, yeah, the one they put on the cover. But they didn't actually show you very much of in the movie. This is the shitty one that I would have been ashamed of. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But when when they get down there because he screamed or whatever, no one's there. Nothing's there. Where could he be, they say. (laughs) And he's not over by the stairs either. Where could he be? I don't know. And they're all arguing about what happened to him. And then they, they come to the conclusion that because they see that the van is gone. He he must must have have gone gone into town. town. He must have forgotten the drumsticks and he went into town to buy more or something like that. And now he'll be drinking all night. Yes. He'll never come back. So we're not going to see him the rest of the night. But ever the smart one, John Michael Thor is like, this doesn't seem right. And then he, he ends up at one point finding the box of drumsticks and it's like, hmm, stroking chin. Yes. <laughs> Which, again, when you know what happens yes. in the end is... <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Nope. Yep. And then his girlfriend, like, tells him, your singing's brought out the beast in me. Rawr. Oh. My. God. It is the worst. I'm going to play it right here so you can hear it. Come on in the house, big fella. You go on ahead, Randy. I'll be up in a minute. Don't be too long, honey. Your singing's brought out the beast in me. Rawr. <laughs> The worst. 
And then, okay, so earlier, we didn't mention this, but the dude who was telling him about the keys, or had given the keys, mentioned something about a piano bed. Oh, yes. And you didn't oh, it was know? A piano, and he didn't get to explain it, you because did. Phil wouldn't let him talk. <laughs> and then we see John Michael Thorne and his girlfriend in bed, and um, and we're both like, is that the piano bed? <laughs> yes, I guess, because you never see it from far enough away to it get a sense like of what it is. It looks like they're in a coffin. It is does. what it looks like. Like a giant coffin. <laughs> it's, just, it's a bed with walls. A double coffin. And, and you can't see it from far enough away to see that it's shaped like a piano. So but we assume this together. is the piano bed in the master suite or whatever, <laughs> right? Okay, fine. In the other room, Stig and Luann are having sex. He is a, what do they call it? A two-pump chump? He comes really quickly, and I wrote down... Or the one-minute wonder. Yeah, I wrote down, he even comes in a bad accent. Oh, yeah, and the loud music and the creepy laughter that plays while he's coming is so weird. It's very weird. But he gets up and he, he's got to take a leak or something like that. So he goes to the bathroom. And when he goes to leave, there's just some rando who is apparently John Michael Thor's wife in like a negligee or something like that. Huh? <laughs> huh? That's the music they play. And she like reaches out to him and he's mesmerized. Huh? And he reaches out to her. Huh? And then all of a sudden... Her hand is like this green, slimy hand, and then it pans out, and we just see like a green zombie in a suit now yes. in her place. So randomly, strange. it's because they had a hand, they had a face, but they didn't want to do the rest of the body, so they just put him in a suit. <laughs> He's just like in a tux. <laughs> it reminded me of the hand from House. Oh yeah, the one on the cover. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do have written here. This MIDI soundtrack sounds like it comes from a C grade SNES RPG. That's what it's, it's, it's like, it's straight up a MIDI soundtrack. Some of it. He's not dead, though, or maybe he is, but Stig, in quotes, comes out of the bathroom, back to bed, and of course Luann's really annoyed or whatever, but then he starts, like, making out with her again, and he's gonna have sex with her again, and apparently this sex is absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah. So either someone has replaced Stig, or he is possessed, but like how Phil just disappeared earlier, I assume someone's replaced Stig, and that's really what happened here. It's my only guess. <laughs> and they don't seem they, interested no, in No, they're not him. interested in explaining that. What else is going on around this night? Okay. This is before the, the groupies get here. Yeah, so we, we get several scenes between the different characters, okay? So there's a couple of things that are happening at the same time. While John Michael Thor and his girlfriend are in their weird piano bed, John Michael Thor is very concerned about Phil, and he says, it's just not like Phil to run out like that. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you remember when we were at the Vatican? He got lost, and he wound up in the Pope's private chamber. Oh! Yeah. And I'm like, is that supposed to be a joke, or is that supposed to be I a real I think it's story? supposed to be, oh, wacky stig, like right. it's supposed to be real. No, it's Phil. Or wacky Phil, you're right, yes. But what I'm saying is... Are they, like, is it, that sounds like a fake thing you'd be like, oh, he'd get lost in the Vatican and yeah. wind up in the Pope's chamber, no. but that's not the way she said it. She said it like it actually happened. No, I think that's, the implication is that it did actually happen. Oh my and god. And this 
movie is written by somebody who doesn't write movies. <laughs> okay. At the same time, the keyboardist and the guitarist... <gasps> oh, God. ...have apparently been flirting forever. Yeah. And it just never has happened. So I think the keyboardist, keyboardist has had enough of waiting for Dopey to get it on. Mm-hmm. So she comes into his bedroom... Wearing, like, just a t-shirt and panties. Yes, I couldn't sleep. Can we sit and talk? And he goes, oh, actually, I'm really wiped out. I, I probably wouldn't be great company. She goes, oh, I, I, guess, I guess I'll go then. And, and he goes, no, no, no. Can I just listen? And she's like, okay. So she sits down and she's talking to him. And what does he do? He falls asleep. And and like she's like, I feel like I'm I'm... Opening up to you and whatever it is, yeah. But apparently that's not enough to make her upset. No. Did, is it's the just like, that uh, she sleeps in the dopey. chair? What chair? In his room. I don't. I didn't see a chair ever. I, I don't know. I feel like she says, I guess it's the chair tonight or something. I don't know. Hope that chair is comfortable. Also, we get a scene between the married couple. Yes. Which is super unimportant because they are super unimportant. But I just wanted to mention it because the music here is really bad. It's supposed to be this loving, romantic music because Uh they're the married couple. So it's okay that they're having sex and it's real bad. Yep. Okay, so that's what everyone's doing this night. What happens late into the night? This is when three girls from the town show up. I think there might even be four. Are there four of them? Yeah, three or four girls from townies show up. And they're At members of the, of the Tritons fan club. <laughs> yes, and for whatever reason, I guess they assume that because they're they're rockers, they'll be up at 2 a.m. Yeah. And who welcomes them in? Phil. Phil. Phil's there. Phil's back. What? Right? And what did you say the music reminded you of here? I said, well, this song wants to be tubular bells. Yes. Yes. Really bad. And so the manager lets them in, and this is nothing like the Phil that we knew before. So we know that he's obviously not Phil. He He's being extremely like, oh, you know, like, I, aren't you here for sex? Take out your boobs. Yeah, you're going to have to buy Coke and, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Cut the Coke is what he says. Right. You're going to be our roadie girls, and you're going to be treated like slaves or whatever. Uh-huh. And they're just kind of like, uh, what? And they, like, don't try to leave at all? They're like, I don't think we're into this. And he's like, no, you're coming over. And they go, like, we want to leave. And they start to head out towards the door, but he's in the way. And he's like, no, you're going over there. And so they just do. They just go with him. Like, he doesn't have any weapons or anything. Right. And then I have written down here, oh, no, Phil's zombie hand. I think it's the same zombie hand that we saw earlier. Oh, oh, it's the same it's the same hand every time. This <laughs> hand will come up again later with Stig. And listen, the implication is not that it's some grand demon that's that's doing all this stuff. No, there are multiple demons here, and this hand only ever got a face that one time in the bathroom with Stig. Yes. And for the rest of the movie. So it's not like, oh, this is one the machinations of this one particular demon. Nope. We don't know who Greenhand is. <laughs> the married couple is then, I guess, finishing the dishes. Because I, I assume it's supposed to be that they never finished them. Yeah. So I guess they're finishing them now. And she says... Dishes scene number two, by the way. Yes. And one of them says, I'm sure Phil's not dead or anything, or he'd have called. 
Was that a joke? I think that was an intentional joke. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was like, I, all right. <laughs> but you, you don't know with a movie like this. <laughs> She's like, oh, I thought you were going to help me not help yourself. Because he's and like then, handsy with her, yeah. But then he gets pulled into the thing. He goes to grab something for her <laughs> while they're listening to more music playing. And we see him, a hand grabs him from off screen and yanks him off. It's hilarious. It's comical. And it's it really seems funny. intentional intentionally comical yes and it and it works it's but the really problem, funny the problem is is that there's no way to tell if they meant it to be comical right, or not right i think this one is but again you're you're wondering that the entire time yes and then somebody comes up behind his wife and she thinks it's him because uh-huh. they're being handsy yep but it's this demon and then drags her away too and then we see the hand come in from off screen and turn off the radio <laughs> Which is our only implication that the reason he doesn't like them is the music? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But then why attack the farm family at the beginning? Who knows? There is no explanation as to why it's here, by the way. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to it. Anyway. But the rest of the band is gonna continue playing on without Dopey. Okay. Roger. Th- these are the lyrics I got out of this one. Okay. Because we're gonna get our second music video. Yes. <laughs> Energy makes me where I wanna be. You give me energy. You make me stronger every day. You make me stronger every day. Energy, energy. Is that? It, it sounds like you're singing "Physical" by What's Her Face, right? No, but it sounds like that, and it sounds like round and round. No, okay. There is a song that they listen to a lot when they're not doing anything like when when they're sitting down having dinner the first night and stuff like that there's a song that will play over and over again and i was just like it's not that song but i kept hearing round and round yeah comes around goes around and it's it's very similar to that but it's not but this one this one is something like that i'll play it here i'm either dead wrong or i'm right i don't really care but the song is called energy believe it or not you give me energy but now that Stig is possessed or replaced or whatever, he's a better drummer and a lover. And everyone's really impressed. He also no longer has an accent, but no one seems to notice anyway. <laughs> I didn't notice. See? I didn't notice. That's how bad the accent is. He gets this, like, stiff kind of kind of way he talks. Like, he's cool now. Uh, hey, oh, uh. Yeah, I feel like a changed man. And he deci- he asks his girlfriend to go on a walk with him. Yes, because they're going to take a break after they finish the song. And so, yes, they go on a walk. He he found out about this really great place, and they go down to the lake that's like... Two feet away? Yes. <laughs> and wow, where'd you find out about this place? You can see it from the barn. I looked out my window. <laughs> they're going to fuck, and she's like, really here? In the grass and mud? And it's like, yeah, whatever. And This is far away enough for us to do what we're going to do. Yes. She takes off her shirt, so we're going to see her topless again. Ready. She's yeah, she's holding her hands on her breast and is like, ready. <laughs> and he's he says something like, so am I, or something like that. We're far enough away from the house to do what we have to do. You want to do it right here on the grass with all the twigs and mud and things? Sure, baby. You'll love it. We're being original. First. Well, after last night, I guess I shouldn't argue with you. Take your things off. Ready. So am I. And it's very obvious. I'm like, why is his 
Why why is he like leaning forward but his chest it's very obvious that he's <laughs> actually behind a fake chest. Oh yeah. And he's like pulling open the shirt. The chest doesn't look that bad to be honest, but the way it's situated looks really bad. And then a hand comes bursting out of his chest and then grabs her boob and she <laughs> screams. So now Luann's dead too. Meanwhile, the cute couple. Oh god, here it comes. The girl um the keyboard says, "Why don't we go back to your office and take care of some long overdue business?" So they're finally going to do it. Do they you know, do it. Do you know what he says as as she pulls him in? No what? Have I ever told you how much I respect you? Yes. Yes. See? You know what? That's so funny. Cute. I it's love really them. funny. Did I ever tell you how much I respect you? So they have sex and it's like all sensual. And the music trying to be sensual like that. In the meantime, Thor's girlfriend, who's been trying to seduce him this entire time, finally succeeds. And he's and and she gets in the shower, and then he follows her in. And so now we get a naked Thor with his girlfriend in the shower. There's so much sex in this movie. And it's two awkward sex scenes in a row. Yes. I would argue that the Michael Thor one is far more uncomfortable the tongue thing it was oh god weird. yes with his little tongue coming out <laughs> and they're in this awkward shower yes and the shower is not even like actually getting them wet really at all yes <laughs> and it's just like this looks so uncomfortable but you get to see john michael thor's ass you do for about a second yep. you see it i don't think you see any woman's ass in this movie you get close <laughs> to seeing Dee Dee's. When she's riding on top of uh, Dopey, whatever his name is, uh, I forget. I don't even think you get to see her topless. I think they conveniently film it to where you don't see her at all. I don't remember. But you get to see his girlfriend topless. You get to see Luann topless. And you get to see John Michael Thor completely butt-ass naked. Just you don't get to see Wang. Unfortunately. (laughs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) But you get to see his bodybuilder butt and his pecs and his little fidgety tongue (laughs) as Dee Dee and the guitarist are like cleaning up the kid from the beginning of the movie just like shows up at their door and then he runs away and she's like what the fuck let's chase after him hey it's a kid and there's this really strange music playing and they run after him and they're trying to coax him out they think he's afraid they're like come on out come on out He's terrifying. Yeah, then he I gets will say this, that about this. I effect. wrote, oh no, the boy monster. Especially the first one, because it comes in phases. It's he's just a boy. He's a boy with a little bit of makeup. He's a boy with prosthetics, like that, you know, as it cuts back and forth as he's transforming into this monster. And like the first one or the second one or something is actually really unsettling. Yeah. And then they take it further, and I'm like, oh, that's just a rubber mask. Yeah, it becomes like a dog mask, yeah, stupidly, uh-huh. but like at first, he's kind of terrifying looking. Yeah. And I want to also say, and this happened earlier in the film, too, as he's changing, they do nothing. They just stand there, and they're just like, Whoa! <laughs> Same thing with the chick who gets attacked by the hand. Yeah. First of all, if my boyfriend was awkwardly standing like that, uh-huh. I would be like, are you okay? And then if a hand came out, I would run away yes. and scream. Uh-huh. She just stands there and let it attack her. Yep. If you're doing the math, the only two people left are John Michael Thor and his girlfriend. Yeah, and John Michael Thor... Gets mad at dinner time because they're all none of them show up, and he goes, "Everyone's off trying to cure the seven year itch." Yeah, but they don't eat. There is no meal. 
Again, no food, but they still do the dishes. I can't believe he made that joke. Oh, yeah. it's it, That's not even what a seven-year itch is. Nope. A seven-year itch is seven years into a relationship when you get antsy and you want to start having a relationship with other people. That's mm-hmm. the seven-year itch. Mm-hmm. Anyway. This is when we start to see more of the puppets, and I wrote down, what are these puppets and why? Yeah. And it's well, okay, just so, going to get worse. So the girl sees the kid, too, and she runs off, and we never see what happens to her. All she says is, what are you doing here, little yes. boy? Uh-huh. She's in the bathroom getting ready. He's doing dishes or whatever. And then he's bored, and he's like, you know, I'm going to write that love song I've always been meaning to write that he's been talking about this whole movie. And he goes into the fr- refrigerator, and there's, like, this leftover turkey or chicken or something that turns into a monster but you can totally see the rubber that makes the back of its mouth it's so bad and it's like bah, 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 and john michael thor doesn't see it and this is going to be a running theme where john triton the character doesn't see things that are right in front of his fucking face in a in a overly absurd comedic way where it's obviously intentional to be a joke but it's also really bad. But it's also intentional in so much as yes, the we'll ending. find out later why it's intentional in within the plot. But he ignores, and I kind of kind of love it. Love that. Yes, yes, absolutely. We'll get there. <laughs> so he does. He either doesn't see or he ignores the leftovers monster, and he grabs what? What does he grab? Coca Cola. So much Coke drink throughout this film. We haven't mentioned it at all. But, like, I was just like, it's so glaringly, like, Coca-Cola right there in front of you. Yeah, and he he sits down at one point to and drink it. And he sits it, it down and, right and in front of the camera. Yeah, he makes sure that it's turned in the way that you can see I'm like, is there any way in hell that Coke sponsored this movie? Yeah, exactly. And I cannot believe that like, that's the case. There's no way. But it's everywhere. Yes. There's, when, when they're in their room, John Michael Thor and his girlfriend, there's one... On the door jam, on top of the door, just like balancing there. Mm-hmm. Like it just needs to be in every shot. Yes. I assume it's because they sponsored it, but there's no fucking way. Would they give them like $2,000? Uh. There's no way this movie is sponsored by Coke, but maybe it is. Who knows? But so he's in there and he's writing and he's he encounters a couple of different little mini demons, right? So Cyclops, little mini Cyclops demon comes back and it may or may not be the same one because we're going to find out there are multiples. And he's completely oblivious. He's writing and he's drinking. And then this monster comes up and puts his hands on the table. And he's like, what's going on up here? He doesn't <laughs> say it, but he makes that sort of. Anyway, John Michael Thor slams the Coke cup down. But he like kind of moves it down gently and puts it on the hand of the monster and doesn't notice that it's sitting on something. You know how when you set a cup down and you notice it's only halfway on the coaster or something like that? You can feel that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't respond to it at all. Again, there might be an in-plot reason for that. And apparently this monster doesn't want, even though he's right next to him, doesn't want Thor to know that he's there. So he he's like, ah, but he's not making any noise. And he moves like a like a Muppet does. Again, you know I said it's like Jim Henson made these Muppets. It puts its hand up to its mouth, its other hand up to its mouth, and is like biting it to keep from making a noise. And it's like shaking. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, this is silly at this point. Yes. It gets sillier. Oh, yeah. What else happens? Well, remember, John Michael Thor is writing a song, people, <laughs> and he's be- he's feeling very, very intense about it. So intense that he drops his pen. So as this is happening, we see this, like, it's kind of like a lizard snake monster thing come up 
It's the first time we've ever seen it. it. Does this little thing where it's like it looks like it's taking a shit or something. It kind of hunches down and it shakes, and we're like, "What's going on here?" And then it cuts back to John Michael Thorne. And this is where he loses his pen in a comical way. He might as well have flung it across the room. And then to retrieve it, instead of getting up or kneeling down, he like goes whoa, and he like out of frame leans over as far as he possibly can and as low as he possibly can. And somebody off screen just flung that lizard monster puppet across the screen yep. <laughs> as if it was jumping at him at the exact moment that he dodges out of the way to pick up the pen because he's completely oblivious. Yep. And it's like, is this a comedy now? Is when like at this point, I'm like, yeah, they've had little one liners or whatever, but is this supposed to be a comedy? Well, I wrote down, I feel like he did that on purpose. <laughs> Maybe he did. Okay, so. And then I wrote down, does he not see his girlfriend either? How is he not seeing anything right now? <laughs> his girlfriend walks in. Yes. And stands there for a while waiting for him to notice her. But he doesn't. So what does she say? Because I only wrote down a couple things. I didn't write down her entire I monologue. I don't. She's She talks about how everyone's dead. And he's like, no, they're not. They're not dead. And she's like, you're an idiot. Of course they are dead. You haven't been listening to me. And they're like, her voice is changing and the lights are flickering. And he goes, nice effect, Randy. I, that's what I wrote down too. I wrote, oh no. This awful transition, Thor's disbelief. She throws her arms out this whole time as she's talking. And then there's this transition. She turns into this incredibly. Before she does, she says, Rise and join me. And this is when we see more of the dick monsters coming up. Oh, God. And one of them, for some reason, is smoking a cigarette, and we sit on that effect for a he while. He has gray hair, and he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> oh, my God, it's a comedy now. Yes. And it turns into this awful-looking monster. Oh, like, it's, it's really terrible. bad. Terrible. And when, when the transition happens, it doesn't just fade out between Randy and this monster. She, like... It, it, it could have. It totally could have, but it doesn't. She just, like, drops down out of frame. <laughs> so obviously intentional. <laughs> what a twist. Okay. So it turns out this monster is Beelzebub. Well, okay. And Thor is not surprised to see him. Right. So he, so she changes. <laughs> and it tells him, you are in my domain and I will kill you. And he starts saying, like, no way, bub. He keeps calling him Bub. Yeah. And, uh -huh. and the creature like, is what, getting, When did he start calling people Bub? <laughs> and the creature is getting more and more angry. And then suddenly he goes into this monologue. And what does he tell us? He tells us. I wrote down what a twist. Mm -hmm. He says, I am the intercessor. Well, first, yeah, he does all that thing about how nobody's going to hurt. You know, you're not going to hurt anybody or blah, 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 blah. But then, yeah, he changes and he transforms too. He says, I am the intercessor. I wrote down, oh, no, that hair. I am Triton, the archangel. Remember, his name is John Triton. The band is called the Tritons. Yes. That cape, that studded thong. Uh -huh. Oh, no. Uh -huh. And so what do we learn about John Triton? Triton, the archangel, the intercessor. What did he do? He explains, I knew if I pissed you off long enough, you'd come. I And they've been fighting for, I don't know, generations? When he says nobody's dead, he means it. Because none of the people in this movie aside from John existed. 
They were all phantoms he created to keep his his demons entertained. And busy and then eventually convince Beelzebub that he has to come out and deal with it himself. But now he's changed. Okay, so, okay. Surely you've seen pictures of this. If you're following us on Twitter, I'm posting pictures of this. <laughs> and it's just John Triton, ex-bodybuilder, now hair metal god, Thor. Yes, with the crazy hair and yes, the makeup. Yes, he has... This intense hair, eyeliner. I mean, we've been talking about his makeup and hair the entire time. It's been there, but it wasn't worth mentioning until we until got right here. Until right now, yeah. No, he's wearing this, like, this, like, sparkly cape, black cape, like it came from a party city or whatever, and it cost four ninety nine. And he's wearing that, and he has these uh, gauntlets on, and he has this thong, this leather thong that's, like, studded. And he's like circling around him, and he's throwing his chest out, and he has his his, his hands. And he's like, acting Aah. like he's surprised at what he's seeing. <laughs> like who? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> at his own hands and yes. everything. I'm <laughs> like, oh my god, what is happening? <laughs> and then he squares off against Beelzebub, who starts throwing things at him. And I wrote down: Is he throwing like music stand bases at him? There are these little X's. That have that come up in the middle, and I'm like, what are those? Are they are they rubber? What's going on? And then I find out they're like these little tentacle octopus monsters. Yes. With one eye in the middle of it. Yes. And they and just have he four legs. Has to hold them against yes, himself. Yes. Pretend that he's when, struggling against when them. When they get thrown at him, he has to grab it and put it on uh-huh. himself, <laughs> and then act like he's trying to get it off of himself. And then he tears one apart. Yes. Which is kind of cool, actually. It's so funny. And this then, is so hilarious. Do you remember when the van was driving to the farmhouse at the beginning of the movie? Yeah. Remember how long it was, and you're like, why is this going on for forever? Why is nothing happening? Yeah. Okay, this fight sort of becomes that at this point. Yes. And I do not mind. They square up, and they, like, grab each other's hands. And they just circle around <laughs> for a while. Ever! <laughs> until finally, Thor decides to punch him. Yeah. And, and th- so they exchange blows and they throw each other around the room until at one point, I wrote down here at this point, there is no way in hell that this isn't 100% self-aware, that this doesn't know exactly what it's doing. It's bad. Don't get me wrong. It is bad because they are not capable of doing something good, but it knows it's bad from day one. It knows it's bad. And eventually... Did you write down the song? That the song is The Challenge. We accept the challenge! We accept the challenge. <laughs> so good. And finally, okay, so Thor punches him a bunch. Bub knocks him down. He has eye lights at one point, but they don't really do anything. <laughs> they just light up. <laughs> and then Thor one hand chokes Beelzebub for like three seconds before Beelzebub gives up and just disappears in front of some bad fireworks. <laughs> oh, it's really bad. It's you like, you know, they went to a fireworks store and got the, the biggest thing they could find. Th- yeah. It's really bad. And you know those those giant things end? that you buy at the at the fireworks stand or whatever that it's like the big thing that they have and you finally get it out in the middle of the street and you light it up and it's like pitiful. It's just a lot of sparks going and then that's it. That's what that is. And so finally he disappears down and he's like, oh, we back or whatever. And he says... I'll see you again, old Scratch. Yes. I'll see you again, old Scratch. Which is just a nickname for the devil. 
which Beelzebub is one of the lords of hell. So apparently, John Triton, not in angel form anymore, he's in John Triton form, is at like these headstones, which I guess is the family from the beginning of the movie? I don't know. And I guess he's, this whole time he's just avenging the deaths of the family from the beginning? Maybe? He's like, oh, I've avenged your deaths or whatever. I don't know. It's so weird, and they do not explain it further than that. I don't know. And then we get random footage of a suburban street with ominous music, and nothing happens. Credits. I don't remember that. It's the weirdest thing. Like, you think it's going to be like, oh, it's the demon going, and it's going to go up to a door, and then blow the door open, like the end of uh, Evil Dead or whatever. Like, no. It travels around, it goes backwards, it goes forwards, it goes down the street a little bit. Credits. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's not even the same town. Like, it's so bizarre. And then we get the credits, and it plays to a song called Edge of Hell, Wildlife. (laughs) Kelsey, would you be surprised if I told you that in 2005, John Michael Thor was in a sequel called Intercessor, Another Rock and Roll Nightmare? I would not be surprised, and I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So that is Rock and Roll Nightmare. Do you have any other random thoughts, lightning round stuff? No, I got them all in. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? Well... Doesn't have an official score. Only an audience score. 27 reviews. What do you think that score is? And audience scores work different on Rotten Tomatoes. 52? 10. 10, okay. It has no Metacritic, no cinema score. I thought it would have gotten people that loved it because it was so bad. Right? That's pretty surprising, actually. It's really surprising. So when I ask you, is it overrated or underrated, what would you say? Oh, it's underrated. Absolutely. I thoroughly enjoyed I mean, like, this movie's awful, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, that, exactly. And it's not, like, I didn't get mad while I was watching it. It, it was very, very clear from the get-go. I'm not going to get anything, like worthwhile out of this movie (laughs) so i wasn't treating it like that and instead i just got to just be in wonderment throughout it yes this is one of those movies that i think you want to bring out when you're hanging out with friends and you want to watch a bad movie not like a legitimately bad movie like there are out there sometimes no this is a movie that i would even enjoy watching with my friends i think we'd get a kick out of it so what would you give it i was gonna give it a 60 I think 60 is fair. I think it's it's high enough to give it respect, but not so high that we're actually saying it's good. Right. I think 60 is a perfect score. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Nina. Uh, <laughs> Nina, great choice. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for recommending <laughs> that. All right. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. In what horror movie did the villain attack high school students through their dreams? Really? Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Kelsey. Mm. In Deathgasm, the movie we're about to talk about, what do the Brotherhood of Steel burn into the grass at the school with napalm? Isn't it Hail Satin? It's Hail Satin, yes. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, well, that leads us right into 2015's Deathgasm, our modern film, written and directed by Jason Lee Howden, starring Milo Cawthorn. James Joshua Blake and Kimberly Crossman, what is Deathgasm about? A metalhead in New Zealand accident, well, not accidentally, uh, summons a demon and then regrets it and has to fix it. The movie is free on Tubi and with a subscription on Prime and Shudder. It's $3 to rent and $10 to buy on the usual platforms. 
Should people watch Deathgasm? Absolutely, yes. Yes. This was really good. Who recommended this one? Jake. Thank you, Jake. Because this was actually a lot of fun, too. Yes. In a different way. Completely different way. But another heavy metal horror movie. Genuinely enjoyed this movie. It had problems, but I really liked it. It ain't perfect. No. There will be moments where you're like, okay, movie, you're done. You can stop. But laughed out loud several times. Had a legitimately good time with this one. Yes. It's just a good movie. So, yes, you should watch it. Assuming you're fine with a bunch of juvenile dick jokes and... It's about teenage metalheads. Exactly, exactly. What do you think you're getting yourself into? Exactly, and it's really gory. But again, we're a horror movie podcast. What do you expect? You notice I don't put things like death and gore in our content warnings in the episodes? Because we're a horror movie podcast. What do you come here for? (laughs) I thought this movie was really funny. Yeah. I agree. I We both think you should watch this one, which is really funny because Kelsey and I don't always align on comedies. Mm-hmm. For those of you that know the backstory as to why we talk about horror movies on this channel as opposed to any other ones, horror is where our movie interests align the most. So if you wonder about us disagreeing all the time, imagine how we feel about all the other genres of movies that we watch. <laughs> so the fact that this is like a horror comedy and we both really enjoyed it should tell you something. You could take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2015's Deathgasm. You know that evil heavy metal that your parents hate you listening to? You know those lyrics about hell, demons, and doom? What if I told you it's all real? I know. I was there. It's piss. That's me, Brody. My friends are losers. So we started a band. Check it out. Ricky Daggers. Is he dead? Wouldn't it be crazy if the music had something to do with demons? Demons. translated those pages. Now, people are turning crazy. Like, possessed. Crazy. What's up? That was pretty cool. As is, I mean, the axe and the... You know, I'm not even sure I'm in the right tuning. Brother of Steel. Kelsey, can you get us started? How... Does Deathgasm begin? We meet our main character, Brody, and he is a definite metalhead whose mom, I guess, is went a drug on, addict or something. Binge or yeah, did something bad. So she, so he gets sent to live with his uncle. His uncle is super, super religious, but his son is a major bully. So of course, his uncle is afraid of him, and his cousin wants to beat him up. Yes. He goes to school for the first time, immediately sees this girl, Medina, who he just thinks is the most beautiful girl he's ever seen, which is interesting because he is a full-blown metalhead. He's got long hair, greasy hair. He's got the metal clothing, you know. Meanwhile, she's this sunshiny, bright, bubblegum pop type of girl. Yeah. Also, is there a relationship between her and his bully cousin? Yes. Yes, but we don't find that out yet. No. 
and he immediately is, is struck by her. But his newfound friend Dion tells him, you're not going to get Medina. Do you want to do something totally awesome during lunch? <laughs> he says, all right. What do they do? They play D&D. That's right. With this other guy named Giles. <laughs> this movie fucking hates D&D. Yes, it makes fun of D&D quite a bit. <laughs> but for some reason, Brody doesn't like get up and be like, fuck this, fuck you. He doesn't know or have anything. He's just like, fuck it, I'm here. I guess these are my friends now. Yeah. <laughs> and Dion and Giles are pretty funny. Yeah. I think they could have got, I think their characters could have been bigger than they were. Yeah. But whatever. They were, they're pretty funny. And as they're sitting there, what happens to them? His cousin, David. And and his friends. And his friends come bursting in and they shoot them with super soakers full of their own urine. (laughs) Yes. And the guy, Giles goes, man, they sprayed us with, with pee. Again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) As if this has happened more than once. And yet they're somehow not prepared for it. Later that day in class, frustrated by the way things are going, he is drawing in his notebook during math class, and he is dreaming of being a metal god. Do you know what he dreams? Do you remember what he dreams about? Well, he dreams that he's... You know, he has his guitar, and he's and he's on a uh, he's on a mountain, and, on top of a mountain. Yes, and Medina is like grabbing onto his leg, like the cover of a lot of cliche metal albums. You know, do something like that, or when you think of metal albums, you might see it, but it's also the cover of A New Hope. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And then lightning comes out of his eyes, and uh-huh. she's suddenly bare-breasted, and uh-huh. she loves it. So, and he's just excited. Like, he's just like, yeah. yeah. You'll have to put that on Twitter. <laughs> but he is taken out of his reverie by his teacher, who finds that he's been drawing, and he gives him two weeks' detention and throws it in the bin. But Medina sees this and apparently grabbed it out, yeah, of, the, uh-huh. out of the trash can. She thought he was talented. Uh-huh. We then... Then find out that she is his cousin's girlfriend, but she's not impressed with her cousin. She tells him... Not her cousin, his cousin, His cousin. She tells him, believe it or not, listening to you talk about being a bully isn't hot. Right. Brody then goes to the only cool place in town, Alien Records. And there, who does he meet? He meets Zach. How does he meet Zach? Because this is a funny interaction. Uh, because, okay, so th- they're going to the metal section where the metal vinyl is, and each time somebody pulls up a record, they pull it up, but like in such a way, it's kind of like this cute flirtation sort of thing, yes. in such a way that the person next to them can see and approve. You yes, know? yes. And so they each do that until eventually... Brody accidentally... He pulls up like Wasp or something like that. And, oh, not that, not that. Yeah, yeah, and Zach like... <laughs> but Zach is even more heavy, heavy metal. He's yes. got even darker hair. Is he wearing makeup at this point? Where no, does that come later? That comes okay. Later, yeah. Okay. And... While there, we meet the owner of the shop, whose wife can foresee the future. Yeah, she's a fortune teller. And she can, she immediately can tell that Brody is about to bring upon the end of the world. Uh-huh, very Harry Potter, when you get, you know, with the dog's head or whatever in the cup of tea, she does that, and she sees a skull. But she doesn't say anything. No. Brody is describing Zack and... He, one of the last things he says in his mind is that Zach once stabbed a kid. 
which makes him super metal in uh-huh. uh, in Brody's eyes. And then Zach asks him, hey, want to do something really awesome? And Brody asks him... It's not role-playing, is it? <laughs> and Zach goes... What the fuck is role-playing? Just like in Office Space. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. Would you ever say this at work? I think you'd get your ass kicked for saying <laughs> something like that. No, man. No. <laughs> no. No, man. Shit, no, man. I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that, man. So they become friends, and Brody tells the audience, Zach played the bass, so we started a band. Turns out both Giles and Dion can play instruments and are actually talented. Giles plays the drums. Who's the only one who's not talented? It's our dude. (laughs) Brody! He's the only one who can't actually play the guitar. They are just a little rusty, he claims to be. Yes. And they try to come up with a name for the band. This is where the name of the movie comes from, because they eventually land on Deathgasm. But they come up with a bunch of other ideas as well. Yes, they keep saying different names, and it's really cute, because they keep saying, oh, that's great, but what about, oh, that's great, but what about, and Zach says, what about Deathgasm? All caps. (laughs) To which Brody goes, that's great, but what about, I said, (laughs) we're Deathgasm! Right, first things first. What are we called? Uh, murder boner? Toothed vagina. Oh, maggot spoon. Cannibal unicorn. How about like 13 S's, you know, like... Got it, got it. Deathgasm. All spelt in capitals. Lower cases for pussies. Cool. What about... I fucking said... Deathgasm! fucking good yeah this movie is entertaining from the jump yes like there you're it's hilarious and you just love these kids it has a sort of edgar wright energy to it while at the same time invoking a lot of the spirit of like a sam raimi movie like an evil dead there's actually a lot of plot points in this movie that mirror evil dead where they you know, read from something they shouldn't be to summon demons, and then they got to read from that same thing in order to send the demon back. You know, it's effectively going to be the plot of this movie too, but, you know, it, it it's also the hyper gore of a Sam Raimi movie. And so, yeah, those things together is great. It's fantastic. And I'd like to point out that you do not have to be a metal fan to no, love this movie. Not at all. Not at all. I don't it even, <laughs> I don't even really like metal. But this was hilarious. Uh-huh. And like, I said, we're dead guys up. Like, it's, it's, it, the energy is infectious. Uh huh. Yes. And these kids have a lot of energy. Yeah. Energy takes me where I wanna be, and you're where I wanna be. Girl, you give me. So Zach ends up telling him that the lead singer of some famous metal band called Hexen Sword. Which just means which sword (laughs) lives in their town. And so they decide to go and see him. And what is his name? Ricky Daggers. Ricky Daggers. And when they first show up this place, it's in shambles. It's falling apart. They're wondering if he's even actually there. Well, at first, Brody doesn't even know why they're there. (laughs) You know, Zach just goes in and he's going to be on lookout. And he's like, what the fuck? And then he, he goes in. And then Zach's like, well, you're an accomplice now, buddy. <laughs> yes. 
And, and then he reveals to him that, that this is where they are. And he's going to steal something? Or, or, or is he going to... St- I forget. He's going to steal something. And Brody goes, dude, that's pretty low. And Zach goes, I can go much lower. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because he sees Ricky Daggers either asleep or dead clutching an album. That's some rare Hexen Sword album. And and he says he's going to steal it. And that's why, oh, dude, that's really low. You're going to steal it right from his potentially dead hands. Like, that's fucked up. But he's not dead. Nope. Daggers wakes up. And he's talking crazy, and he thinks that they are here to attack him. And they explain that, no, 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 we're just fans. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> you were outed, he says. You were outed, and he, and he shows him this, like, fanzine, you know, black and white, photocopied, you know, fanzine thing that, that, that reveals that Ricky Daggers is living in this small New Zealand town, and everyone knows where you live now. Yeah, Ricky Daggers freaks out because that means something else. That means that other people that he thought these guys were are going to come after him. And Uh they do immediately. Yes. They witness the murder of Ricky Daggers. Partially. They witness somebody come in to attack him. And they run off with that album. Because he he gives it to them. He told them, guard this with your life. Uh And he is then murdered. Yes. With an awesome throat slit. It's pretty good. It's a slow move across the neck, which isn't that impressive, but the way the throat opens up and the blood comes out, it gives you a hint as to kind of the gore that you're into coming up in the rest of the movie. Yeah. Before he dies, he tells he tells his, his perpetrator, his killer, it's a trap. It doesn't do what you think it will do. Uh-huh. But the guy kills him. Yes. And he reports back to whoever's in charge of him. Aeon or Eon. And he tells him he's dead, but I don't have the the package that yeah. I came for. He, he got rid of it. And so they're in this, like, what's supposed to be this, like, penthouse office with, you know, elaborately ordained but also stark in color. And he's, uh, Aeon's behind the desk. And he's disappointed in him. We're supposed to learn from our mistakes. And... Then these two robe dudes come in and they tell oh, him this to is funny. <laughs> cut his head off, you know? And so they kneel him down. He's like, no, no, I can, I can get it. I can get it. No worries. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to let you try again. And then one dude grabs the sword and just slices his head off. And it's really cool. The head just falls over. And Ian gets pissed because they did it right over this expensive carpet. And they're like, uh... Sorry. And he's like, no, you are doing it again. <laughs> and even though the head's already cut off. So and one, even though the blood's all over yeah, the carpet anyway. One, the guy goes back and gets the, the plastic, puts it down. The other guy retrieves the head, lifts it up, lifts up uh, the, the, the assassin guy by the shoulders, pl- gently holds the head where the neck wound is. Then the other guy goes... Oh, and like slowly mines chopping his head off. And then the dude who's holding the head just lets it roll off onto the plastic. And he's like, that's better. It was, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really funny. And then some random girl pops up from under the desk. Obviously, she's been giving him a blowjob this entire time. Yes. This will become important later. Yes, it will. <laughs> just like in Something About Mary. They do the exact same joke. Mm, yeah. So the boys get home. And they quickly open up the record to find that it is... A Rick Astley album. Never gonna give you up, never gonna let you down, never gonna run around and desert 
the Rick Roll. Rick Roll. Yeah, I'm sure this was made at the height of that popularity. Oh, Rick Roll. Rick Rolling has been around for forever. Has it? Yes, and well, not literally forever, but for longer than this movie's been around. Okay, I would guess probably ten years. The movie is dated 2015, but the original version was made in 2013, I want to say. So a lot closer to when it was a popular thing. Yeah. uh But what also falls out is some music sheets. Yes, which say in Latin, and I do not know how to pronounce Latin, so don't get mad at me. It says, Vocavitike Rex Daemonia Virtutem Fortuna Hymnus Negrum. Um, It's actually pronounced the Vocavitque Rex Daemonia. (laughs) That tongue wasn't meant for Latin. Which we were just looking at it, and it looks to us to read the Black Song to Summon the true demon king. And then there's something about fortune in there. And I wasn't quite sure what that had to do with it, but it's in there somewhere. We'll find out later exactly what the translation is. And Brody looks at the sad, the music sheet and he's like, Hey, maybe we should learn this song. But before they do, they decide to make a music video for their song. Intestinal bungee jump. Yes. So, There is this music video. It's really funny. There's a real music video. It's adorable. Called Call of the Winter Moon by a band called Immortal, which is notorious for being just an awful metal music video. They just go to like, it's like a local park and they have all the the makeup on and it's just like a really bad, laughably bad which is, is exactly- it intentionally bad kind of thing? And this is what they're they're mimicking here with this version. Yeah. I yeah okay. We'll have to uh, you'll have to show me that. Yeah, I'll share it on on Twitter. So if you're not following us, you should be. But yeah, they've definitely got the the makeup on and everything. I mean, they're pretty much stealing from Kiss. Yeah, but metal's a little bit different now with that makeup. But yes, it's the white makeup, white face paint. With black around the eyes and black lipstick and stuff like that, yeah. And when they're done making the vi- video, I forget why. They, they have to stop for supplies or cigarettes or something. They stop somewhere, and who's there? Medina. Medina. And Medina doesn't seem upset by his makeup. She doesn't make fun of him or anything. She's very cordial and and talks to him. Yeah. And she ends up asking him if he wants to join her for an ice cream. And he's like, fuck it. Yeah. And so he follows her. And the guys are fine with it, too. They're teasing him about it. But they're like, guess we'll see you later. Mm -hmm. You know, when they bump into each other, she has like a little bit of his face paint. Yes. And it stays there. And they don't even mention it. No. It's a nice little thing. It's a Adorable. <laughs> they are adorable together. Yes, I they love, really are. I love yeah. their relationship. So she shows him that she rescued his picture. And she says, I think you're really talented. I want you to draw my tattoo. And then he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, I want it here or here. Yeah, and he's obviously, she's showing like, you know, over her boob and her, and her upper thigh and like stuff like that. And he's getting really nervous, and she knows that it's working. <laughs> so she smiles, and she's like, yeah, I got him. <laughs> and he recommends that she should listen to some metal music. And she goes, I don't know if it's for me. Isn't it just a bunch of guys yelling? And he explains that it might sound like that at first, but the truth is, is that it's pent-up rage, and it's people exuding uh, um expelling this rage that they have yeah. together 
There's also this funny moment where when he first says it isn't just a bunch of guys screaming, where he's like, no, it's not this. Well, except for this genre, subgenre. And then he just ends up listing like 15 different subgenres. Yes. But he gives her a bunch that he's like, you should listen to these. And she's like, uh, because they're all the covers. And they're they're all, all really dirty and uh-huh. gross. And then he's like, no, 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 this one. <laughs> yeah. and, and he gives her a much, I think, probably a much more mainstream, mainstream yeah. album. And she says, okay, and she'll listen to it. And it's really cute, guys. This is later, but she'll yeah. listen to it. And what happens? What does she see? She gets, like, really into it, right? Oh, she, see, she sees the same thing that Brody saw. Yes. In his vision, except she's the one, and there's women all over her. That was the only part that bothered me about this. I kind of enjoyed that she had two women as opposed to Brody, who only had one, and it was her. Yeah. But I was like, why doesn't she have hot dudes? I don't know. <laughs> because that's I, that's not the traditional metal vision. And so I think they're... I think the point is is that they're subverting that that way. It's not. It's not a gender swap. It's that she is... The metal she's, god. She's the metal god, yes. And that's what traditionally happens with the metal god. I so, guess. Yeah. Bothered me. <laughs> it's really cute. She, she realizes, oh, I actually really enjoy this. <laughs> but meanwhile, they are trying to learn the song that they found in the record. Giles and Dion ask them where they got it. And Zach says, we just found it. Uh-huh. And they start playing it. And, and it's this like slow heavy metal rhythmics are and they're playing in in his uncle's garage, yeah, I guess. Uh-huh. Why he would allow them to, I because don't know. Because he's scared of him. Yeah, but so he comes in and he's like, "Turn that off." And Brody just turns it up and uh-huh. Zach's like, "Fuck yeah, dude." And but suddenly weird things are happening as they play this song. It becomes hard to breathe. It feels like the the room is closing in on him. So yeah, so the uncle ends up bleeding from his eyes. He yes. says, turn off that devil music, which is funny because it actually is devil music. Yes. And of course, Brody picked up on it. And he's like, didn't you guys feel that? And they're all like, no, you're crazy. Yeah. And they do this sort of Zach and Brody, this sort of um, like heavy metal handshake thing. You know, where they grab their each other's hands by the around the thumb, you know, that thing. And then they do the metal horns uh, on each other and they call themselves the Brotherhood of Steel. It's funny because, you know, they're they're like metal brothers, right? But Brotherhood of Steel is a reference to Fallout, the video game franchise. I don't know where it comes from other than that. There is the Brotherhood of Steel, which they they have these like power suit armor things. Anyway, I wrote down here. Oh, their relationship is doomed now. Like, because they're focusing on the fact that they're like, oh, we're brothers, just the two of us. And it's like, "Ah, something bad's going to happen here. (laughs) (laughs) So that day at school, he is trying to decode what it means in Latin. Yes, which he ends up decoding it as summoning the king of demons, a black hymn for gaining power and fortune. After Brody leaves class, he is... Approached by his cousin and his cousin's friends, and they beat him up for talking to Medina, his girlfriend. After which, Brody then leaves out out of anger. Yeah, and he's all beat up. They ripped out his earring. It's pretty bad. It is, yes. So, 
Medina is looking for him at school, but she can't find him because he's now left. And instead, she finds Zack. And she asks Zack, who, first of all, she finds Zack stealing petrol. She's like, are you stealing petrol? He says, no, it's diesel. And I don't feel bad about it. (laughs) Don't you feel bad about it? No, why should I? And then it zooms out and we realize he's been stealing fuel from an ambulance. (laughs) Yes, yes. And she goes, well, um... Is Brody around? He's like, I haven't seen him. And she goes, can you give him this letter? Please don't read it. Which, of course, we knew he was going to. But what he does next did surprise me. But apparently it didn't surprise Chris. No. Because Chris knew this was coming. I, on the other hand, was very upset when this happened. Oh, yeah. No, I'm upset. But I'm not surprised. They've been establishing Zach this entire time as somebody who doesn't give a fuck about anything. And will actively destroy relationships to maintain this sort of aura about himself as somebody who doesn't give a fuck. Yes. Who goes out of his way to hurt people sometimes. So he reads the note, and it's her asking him to meet her that night at the Mm -hmm. park. And he never ends up giving this. Yeah, he will not give this to his friend. That night, he will meet her there, and he will lie and say, yeah, sorry, he said he wasn't interested, but I felt really bad for you, so I wanted to come and tell you instead of having you wait here all night. Mm-hmm. And they end up making out. I don't think it's genuinely because she's interested in Zach at all. I think she's it's just kind of emotionally devastated. Yeah, I think and... it's purely anger and kind of getting back at yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brody. I don't blame her whatsoever for her right. actions. Yeah. Which Zach's is, the one who's the dickhead. Right, absolutely. And it's interesting because the next day, she doesn't really seem mad at Brody. She's she's hurt. Yeah. Well, she says not, that really sucks or whatever. But she she doesn't seem angry with him, which was a really interesting choice. And it's I a liked, relief, I think. It, yeah. it was. Uh-huh. It didn't it didn't create meaningless drama. It was purely like, right. you know, you hurt my feelings, but I guess we're just not meant to be. And that's how she took it. Traditionally, how a lot of TV and movies create drama is through um, post-it note misunderstandings, things that could be resolved with just writing a message on a post-it note. Uh, But we don't. So nobody's, everyone's bad at communicating. And so they end up getting in fights all the time in a way that's just fucking obnoxious. But she doesn't start a fight. Exactly. That's my point. That's what's, that's what's a relief about it. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's actually a great way of handling it because without her being obnoxious about it, that leaves Brody in the dark. Yes. For a good portion of the film, mm-hmm. which is important to the character building. Yeah. Next day, Brody is so mad that he decides, we're going to summon the demon and I'm going to straight up murder my cousin. Yes. <laughs> As his decision. Uh-huh. So they play the song again. And this time, everyone is... Blood is coming out of every orifice. All the neighbors nearby across the street, they start vomiting blood. It's really fucking gruesome and brutal. It's the most brutal thing ever. <laughs> and this time, they complete the song, but they all pass out. Yes. And Giles has this comment to think, were, all, were we all just napping? Like, what happened? But all their equipment blows, too, so they couldn't play something else if they wanted to. Right. And Brody is very excited, and he's like, do I look any different? Do I seem any different? Do I seem powerful? And they're all like, no. Zach just punches him in the stomach. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, you seem normal to me. (laughs) And they're like, all right, well, I guess our equipment's all fucked. I guess what? We have to go home. And this is when I thought 
Brody's cousin talks to him. No, it's his 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 cousin's friend Terry. Apparently, yes. Who has who has now been possessed, possessed. by some demon? We it's like a messenger for Aloth. It's so funny. Which is the demon that's going to be summoned, and he catches him as he's like going to the bathroom. It's really well done, and they do one of those moments like in Hot Fuzz, you know, the the where where the guy just like. Drifts back yes, into frame. Drifts in, in and head. out of frame. Yeah, uh-huh. It's great. It, like I said, it has this sort of like. And he's got these big silly sunglasses yes, on. Uh huh. But it has this sort of Edgar Wright energy to it. And yeah, he comes in and he tells him in this sort of like possessed voice. Come here, the trumpets, Brody. They're getting louder. The black one is coming. He's going to suck out your intestines for a thousand years and use your ribs as toothpicks. No, Terry, you didn't mention it. Well, he is. And Brody has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. He's like, uh, okay. (laughs) And then he does that thing where he leaves and then he drifts back in. There's a lot of sort of floating, very Sam Raimi, sort of like you put somebody on a dolly and you just drag them in. Did I mention he's going to roast your nuts over an open fire while they're still attached, of course? And Brody responds with... No, Terry, you didn't mention that. <laughs> Terry's like, well, he is. And then he leaves. It's really funny. <laughs> and then later that day, he sees Medina, but Medina just ignores him, and he doesn't understand why. And when he asks Zach about it, Zach doesn't understand why either. Yeah. Yeah, also at school that day, the teacher who gave Brody detention is obviously possessed and he ends up just like shitting blood in front of the class, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" At first, are they're you laughing okay? because he's like farting, but then they see blood, and uh-huh. they're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then he comes up to one of the students, and then just vomits blood on her, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" And then he just does more blood on her, and everyone's like freaking out. Everyone runs out screaming, except for the girl. She just sits there. Yes. (laughs) So, Zach and Brody are hanging out in Zach's dad's like a car repair shop, and they're just hanging out, sitting in the front of a torn apart car or whatever. Talking about the weird things that have happened. Uh Uh-huh. Like, oh yeah, this thing happened. It's so weird. When, what happens? Zach's dad approaches them. Yeah. And he's like holding his eyes, I think. Well, he ends up ripping out his own eyes. Okay. Because that's one of the things that Terry said is the blind one, right? So there's going to be this obsession with covering your eyes, tearing them. Yeah, so he has his eyes covered and Zach ends up taking it off. And so then he tears out his own eyes. Okay. And then he tries to kill the two of them. And so they need to fight off against him. And they end up dropping an engine on top of his head, smashing it. And Zach's trying to act like he it's, doesn't care. It's Brody. Brody, because t- Zach's going to die. Zach's dad is going to kill Zach. Uh-huh. So Brody attacks him with, is it like a hedge saw? It's like this saw that like is oh, sideways. Um, it's not a band saw. It's an electric grinder that he holds up to his face. And it's this neat effect. You can totally see how they do it. They have something hooked up to the other end of the grinder that just squirts blood out in different directions that you can't see because it's pressed up against the dude's face. So the dude's completely safe, but blood's squirting out and it's really cool. Ends up knocking him down. And then they hit 
the uh, the engine crane. It's just this thing that like it pulls the engine out and it drops an entire engine block on this dude's head. It smashes it. Yeah, and Zach tries to act like it's all okay, and he says, I think you would have liked to have gone out this way. <laughs> it's very metal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Brody says, I'm so sorry, this is all my fault. And he explains it, and at first, Zach is a little like, what the fuck, you didn't tell me? Uh-huh. But then he says... It's weird, but I think you would have wanted to go out like this. His eyes ripped out, face grinded off, and then head mounted under a car engine. Totally. For whom the bell tolls, old man. Brody remembers that Abigail at the record store is into this occult shit, so maybe she can help them. And so they're going to go there. But in the meantime, Giles and Dion are looking for Brody and Zach at Brody's house. And they're not there, and they get attacked by this possessed demon guy. And they're fighting it with a paintball gun and Hulk hands. <laughs> you know, those little those little foam Hulk hands. I was wondering what they were the whole time. I was they're like, not why official, does he wear those? But yeah, because he doesn't have anything else. And they're about to get killed when all of a sudden the head just gets chopped right in half by an axe. And it's Medina wearing this leather-studded jacket that belonged to Zach. Zach gave it to her because it was cold that night in the park. Mm -hmm. And they're relieved to see her and she's like, you know. What's up? What's up, yeah. And she's like, I I wanted to do like a little one-liner like you were axing for this. (laughs) I thought that would be pretty cool. And then Giles is like, well, it was pretty cool as is with the axe in the head. (laughs) What's up? Sweet axe skills. Thanks. I wanted to come up with, like, a one-liner, like, you were axing for this or something. That would be really cool, right? That was pretty cool. As is, I mean, the axe and the... (laughs) (laughs) Fucking awesome. It's really cute. And before they leave... She's adorable. I love Medina. Very much so. They decide they're going to go to the school because that's the town's, like, lockdown location. We know that Dion's dad is a warden uh, for the, the civil defense or whatever... And that's how they know that the school is a shelter that they can go to uh, for the town. And he's like, oh, my dad's a warden. Or he was a warden until he became possessed and he ate off my mom's skin. (laughs) To which which Giles responds, that was hours ago, man. Get the fuck over it. (laughs) Dion leaves a note telling them. And they're like, oh, I hope these demons can't read. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go to the school. So then... Zach and Brody are on their way to the record store. They end up passing by all these possessed demons, killing innocent people. And then they make it to the record store where they find Abigail dying. She's already been attacked and she's on her deathbed. uh, And she tries to explain to them what's going to happen. What she explains to them is that they've invoked Aloth, who is the blind one, because they played that hymn. She was aware of the black hymn. She knew what it was. People are possessed by his minions, and their goal is to kill as many people as they can in order to set the stage for Aloth to arrive at the witching hour, which is 3 a.m. Zach asks... 3 a.m. Pacific or Eastern time? Do demons recognize daylight savings? It made me and Chris so happy because these are things we've brought <laughs> yes. up in the past. Like, like whose 3 a.m. are we talking about here? Is Do these... demons really care about 
time zones? Exactly. These are questions that nobody ever seems to think about. Remember, people, if somebody says the world's going to end, just look at Australia. Did the world end for them on that day? No, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> it's the Australians that'll go first, guys. <laughs> so the weird thing is, though, is that New Zealand only has two time zones, and they're not Pacific and Eastern, which is especially weird. Because he says that. Yes, he does. That's an American thing. Yeah. I'm guessing maybe it's just for the American audiences, which are probably going to be bigger. But they have the New Zealand Standard Time and the Chatham Island Standard Time. Do you think they maybe made two versions? That seems like such a random thing to include. Interestingly, though, the New Zealand time zones are 45 minutes apart. When you get over there in, like, the Pacific Islands and stuff like that, time zones get really wacky. We could go into the complication of time zones, but we're not going to. But that's a really strange choice. Yeah, though, they might have made a, a different ver- Lots of, you know, they made two completely different versions of the first Harry Potter movie where they say Philosopher's Stone and Sorcerer's Stone. Are you, are you kidding? No. They had to redo every scene that said that Philosopher's said Stone. That said Philosopher's Stone to Sorcerer's Stone for the American release, yes. Oh my god. All right, guys, that's a good shot of that scene. Do it again. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's because the books were titled two different things. Wow. So anyway, before she can tell them any more, I think she does tell them that they need to play the song backwards. But before she can tell them any more, she's killed by her husband, the guy who owns the record store, and they need to get out of there. She also tells them this, this they drop this little nugget where you know it's going to become an issue that... Aloth's soul will fuse with the darkest soul in the area or whatever when he when he comes. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a plot element. You just know it's going to be a plot element. Listen, I'm not saying this is an elegantly written story. It's not. So while these two groups of people are missing each other, so they're going to leave Brody's house and go to the school, and then Zach and Brody are going to go to Brody's house. But they're not going to see the note. Right, because, because Zach, Zach will steal the note. Gonna we'll going to take it we'll away. We'll talk about that. But while this is all going on... Aeon and his minions are arriving in the town. Among them is the chick that we saw earlier that he pushed her head back down. Yes. Uh, And Terry is there, and he talks to them as this harbinger of Aeloth. And he tells them basically the stuff that we already know, that he's going to be showing up, he's going to fuse with the darkest soul or whatever. And this woman takes the opportunity to kill Aeon and then shove the knife that she has right down his mouth and into his throat, and she says what? Now who doesn't have a gag reflex? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she explains that I am going to be the darkest soul, and he is going to fuse with me, not this guy. Yes. So after they get to the house, and Zach has taken the note and doesn't want him to know where they are, mm-hmm. Brody, I think, on his own, comes up with the idea that they should go to the school. Or, at the very least, he wants to fight back. Mm-hmm. Zach is done at this point. Yeah, Zach he's like, has... let's go up to the hill and let's just watch the town burn. Yeah, let's get drunk. Let's see it all end together because what the fuck are we going to do? We're not going to stop this. And Brody is like, no, I'm not giving up. I'm the one. I'm the one that caused this. I'm going to do my best to stop it. And if you won't help me, then fine, I'll do it myself. Which convinces Zach, okay, fine, I'll help you. So they end up going to Brody's house. 
where they're almost attacked by Brody's uncle, but Zack hits him over the head. There, This is a long, protracted fight scene. Yes. Oh, because they run away from him into the uncle's room. Yes. The aunt and uncle's room where they find all these sex toys. Yes. And Zack puts the dildo like, in Brody's mouth. on his and, face. And, yeah. like, and he smells the anal beads because he doesn't think that's what they are. Uh-huh. It's all very gross So and then they silly. come bursting out of the room with Brody wielding the dildo and, and Zack swinging around the anal beads. And they realize this is doing absolutely nothing they're quite shit really yeah (laughs) so brody goes and gets a chainsaw a chainsaw and the funny thing is is he can't get it started (laughs) he's yanking on the pole and he just keeps doing it and it's not starting i was like is that realistic it's very realistic those things don't start all the time (laughs) remember lawnmowers you used to have to start them that way and that was a pain in the ass mowing my front lawn uh, this is when the movie will become very much an homage to Evil Dead, and I'm fine with that because this doesn't feel like they're trying to rip it off in any way. No, it's... They are purely saying, mm-hmm. we love Evil Dead, and here's us doing an interpretation of yeah. that. another gory sort of exploitation horror movies. This is yeah. not them trying to use it for their own... Movie. Like we came up with this exactly, no, 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 not at all. But the, it, but the scene keeps going so much so that the uncle says, "I'm going to eat your soul." Yes, he does. That that is true. But the scene goes on forever. You know, the the chainsaw thing doesn't work, and Brody almost gets his face sawed off by the chainsaw before Zach can help him. And then there's it's a back and forth and back and forth, and eventually somebody kills the ant by shoving both a vibrator and a dildo or whatever into either side of her head, and then it's like spinning around, mixing up her brain. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, enough with the sex toys. It was a good one-off joke. We don't need to devote five minutes of this movie to sex toy jokes. Well, when you consider that they're teenage boys. Yeah, it just, it went on for far too long. I was fine with the joke's presence. I was just like, okay, I'm done. I've moved on and the movie hasn't. I did write down, that's so many types of dildos. <laughs> yeah. But also at some point the camera, we follow the camera and it like goes straight through the ant's teeth. Which was oh, very, which was that. a very strange thing. But it's fun. I like it when movies uh-huh. try new and weird things. Yeah. You know? It, maybe it didn't work the best, but I, I was like, hey, they love something like Evil Dead, and they wanted to play with that. And I... I don't think there's anything wrong with messing around in a movie like this. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not like it, oh, all of a sudden I can't take the movie seriously. It's just, I was like, just kind of bored of these jokes at this point. But so they've killed both the aunt and the uncle, and they're sitting there in this the mess and the carnage. And what happens? Because this is a great moment. David shows up at home because Brody and Zach just killed David's mom and dad. And then David shows up. <laughs> And Brody kills him right yeah, he away. Like chops his head off and like, oh, good, I got him. And Zach's like, I don't think he was possessed. <laughs> Brody's like, no, no, he definitely was possessed. <laughs> yes, the joke here is that for whatever reason, his cousin. Not for whatever reason, we know what the reason is. We don't know why the cousin oh. has not become. Yeah, he possessed. just he made it home, mom, dad. Or for whatever, whatever yeah. reason, he's okay, and Brody just straight straight up kills him, and it's very funny. It's not the first time we've seen a joke of this type. Dad, you killed the zombie Flanders. He was a zombie? But it's very fitting here Well, because that's moment. the whole reason that he brought upon the demon, yes, uh-huh. and he's the only one who hasn't been affected. <laughs> Turns out, 
Zach is like, this is actually kind of fun. And he says, but we've got to get better weapons. Yes. <laughs> so they piece together weapons a la Evil Dead or the Dead Rising video game series. But while they're doing this, what happens to the song? It blows out the window. <laughs> yes, and the, suddenly the movie will kind of become like a video game in that they have to go to different spots in the yeah. in the town to collect these pages. Because if they're going to play the song backwards, they've got to have the, the music pages. So they manage to... And it's then they, a montage, yeah. and it's a very silly montage. Of them killing people and getting the pages. In very silly ways and, yes, and grabbing yeah. the papers. But they end up going to the school, and then that's when they run into Medina and Giles and Dion. And they're like, oh, good, you got our note. And Brody's like, what note? And this is when Brody finds out that Medina's like, you know what, it's cool if you didn't want to, you know, if you're not interested. But he's like, what are you talking about? She's like, when I gave you the note. And he's like, I didn't get that note either. Yeah. And suddenly this is all coming down to Zach. Yeah, it starts because he notices that she has Zach's jacket. Yes, that yeah, too. Uh -huh. And he suddenly is putting it all together and he comes to the realization that Zach has seriously fucked him over. Yeah. He goes to him and he's like, what the fuck did you do? To which Zach defensively says, you're the reason all of this happened. How about you grow some balls? I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, we talk about how Zach totally screws over both Medina and Brody to serve his own self-interest, and that makes him a horrible person. But we got to remember also that Brody is the reason all these people are dead. It might not have been intentional, but it was semi-intentional. Yeah. And now all these people are dead. He's a stupid teenage boy who didn't consider the consequences exactly. of his actions. Exactly. So they're kind of the same in this way, except one is cosmic and the other is like, Super intimate and personal. Exactly. And also the fact that the cosmic one seems a little more like he didn't necessarily think it would actually happen. But there are bigger consequences. Right. Right. So As opposed to someone like Zach, who knew full well what he was doing and did it yeah. anyway. But he tries to blow it off by saying, like, I'm not even interested in Medina. I wasn't trying to steal her from you. I was just having bored fun. and having fun. And that makes... Brody even more angry. And they get into a fight. They get into a big fight. And you think Brody's going to like finally stand up for himself and win, but no, he gets his ass beat by Zach. Yes, Zach is beating the shit out of him. While they're doing this, Medina's like, boys, this is not the time. Save it for the demons. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ, you guys are acting like children. But Zach beats him up and then he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out of here. He even says, I never even liked you. Death to fake metal. Yes, as he leaves, death to fake metal. <laughs> fuck you! Good luck fighting evil without me, you're all gonna fucking die! Death to false metal! Which is obviously, that's what he's accusing them of being. Yes, yeah. posers. <laughs> you're all posers. And that's when Dion will say, I expected this. Your personalities clash. He's a... He's a, a chaotic, chaotic neutral and you're, oh God, what does he say? I forget. Lawful good, I think is what he calls, is his alignment, yeah. <laughs> I expected this. He's chaotic neutral and you're lawful good. Your alignment's totally mismatched. It's really Their cute. alignments aren't in sync. Yes. Medina is like trying to give them a pep talk. She's like, we don't need Zach. We're going to do just fine. And she goes, 
metal. Yeah, and she does she does the like uh, Hawaiian, Hawaiian, Hawaiian thing. Hang ten yeah, thing. Uh, and and it's Brody that changes her fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> it's it's called the Shaka sign in Hawaii. Okay. So they are confronted at this point by Shauna or Sh- Shana or some whatever her name is, and all of Aeon's old dudes. followers. Yeah, old followers, and comes in and she says she completely mispronounces the name, and then Dion says that tongue wasn't made for Latin or whatever. <laughs> she ends up ripping up the pages that they've right. worked so hard to collect. Because she doesn't need them anymore. The reason she wanted them is to prevent him from being de-summoned by playing the hymn backwards. Right. But Medina tells Brody, I know you can still stop this. I believe in you. Yeah. So they tie them all up and leave them in a room. And they're waiting. They're performing some sort of ceremony to make sure that Aloth spawns there and inhabits Shayna. And they are having trouble getting out on when who shows up. Zach! In the full metal face makeup and everything. And he unties them and then they fight against some demons and, and stuff like badass. that. And it's badass. He shows yes. up and he starts... He starts it's very metal. It's whooping, whooping people. Like yeah. he, he's beating everybody up. I mean, we saw that earlier when he beat up his friend. Yeah. Uh-huh. He, the guy can fight. When they ask him about it, when they ask him like, like why he showed back up, he says... I realized I couldn't live a mate in the shit. Not with all these demons to mega kill. Metalheads stick together, right? And so, like, Brody and Zack are gonna, like, make up. But Medina's like, wait a minute. You decided that you wanted to help us, and then you went and applied makeup? How long did that take? What, like, 10, 15 minutes? <laughs> it's not makeup, it's fucking corpse paint. For going into battle? Okay. Well, you look adorable. Really brings out your eyes. Yes, it's very funny. Zack is beating people up, and... He's fighting against the chick who wants Aloth to come. Meanwhile, Brody is trying to do it by memory, playing the song backwards. It's not working. Oh, we didn't say during all of this, Dion gets killed. And Giles gets killed. And Giles gets his arms ripped off, which is funny because he's a drummer. And I wrote down, okay, so now we know that all this is going to get reversed we know that Aloth is going to get summoned. Otherwise, what would have been the point about that whole darkest soul thing? But there still has to be a twist where everything goes back to normal, right? So, going on, Aloth gets summoned. But he does not enter the body of the woman. Shayna, yeah. Even though she's still alive at this point. Yes. And we all know where it's going. It's going into Zack, who's I, the I, darkest I think, soul in the room. I think I called out, no! As soon as I saw that it wasn't going to go for the woman, I was just like, no, don't do it, movie. But they do. And it enters into Zack. So so, Zack ends up killing the chick. Yeah. He's going to kill Brody until Brody starts playing that same tune in the beginning of the movie that he couldn't do well. And he's like, oh, I'm just rusty. And he ends up playing it. And what happens is the power of playing from the heart. Yeah. But the the metal is what brings Zack back. Right, so Zack is killing everybody, and he almost kills Brody, but playing from the heart Uh, brings him back, and he tells him- Let's him him, take over Aloth for a little bit. And he tells him, you've got to kill me, he's too powerful, Mm -hmm. the metal brought me back, but I can't stay, finish me before he takes over, and And Brody does. Yeah, so in the beginning of the movie, when they became the Brotherhood of Steel, they took razor blades, cut their hands, and then did that whole handshake thing with the metal sign. 
And then they put those on necklaces. So they have razor blade necklaces that they wear. And so Brody uses that to cut Zack's throat. Yes. And kill him. Yes. Thus preventing Aloth from fully taking over and de-summons him effectively. Yeah. Kills him. So he was unsuccessful in reversing anything. So yes. nothing changes. I was changes. way wrong. I was expecting it to be, you know, like, okay, well, now characters we like are dead, so they're going to have to reverse it, and it's going to be a little cliche. But no. It's they were like brave the, enough to just kill off Giles and Dion. Right? It's like the end of Shaun of the Dead, when you're like, okay, well, we know certain people are safe. You know, his mom can die because it needs to be an emotional moment, but, you know... No, you know, like they when it ends, everyone who died is dead, and even the people you like end up dying last minute. And now we have to deal with that. We have to move forward with that new status quo. That's what this is. So now Medina is metal. Yeah, they're <laughs> she in a metal has band. The tattoo. Yeah, and you know they're in a they're fully uh, in a relationship now, and she goes off to do whatever she's going to do. I can't remember. And he's listening to to music on on an album. When all of a sudden, right before the credits, he hears Zack's voice over the album. Like it's a demon coming after him. Nah, just kidding, dude. Zack? And then at the end of the credits, it's just Brody talking to Zack through the record. He tells him what it's like living in hell. Yes. And how he's friends with a bunch of metal uh-huh. bands now. And now they need to come up with a new band name for Medina and Brody. And so it's just them throwing names back and forth. And that's how the movie ends. So what's it like being dead? Hell is awesome. Like meet some music legends, Dio, Kurt Cobain, Dimebag, John Bonham, Paul McCartney. Oh. Yeah, the true, true mayhem have reunited, too. So cold, dude. <sighs> Fucking brutal ass. Anyway, the band. You gotta keep playing, dude. Yeah, but everyone's dead. We can't keep calling ourselves Deathgasm. Doesn't feel right. Alright, then we'll change it. How about band source circumcision? Intesticide? How about, like, bestiality bliss? Yeah, how about birth canal boat riders? How about the god buggerers? about David Bain Scroton. It's really cute. It's adorable. Really liked it. So the reason I said the movie was made back in 2013 is because it was part of a contest in New Zealand called Make My Horror Movie, and it won. And the prize was $200,000 to the production of the actual film, towards the final production of the film. Apparently, the guy who ran or was involved in the running of this contest said that the writer-director, Jason Lee Howden, that his sheer enthusiasm and utter commitment is the reason that he won. Well, yeah. That contest. Of course, Walmart refused to sell Deathgasm, and they ended up changing one thing before they would be willing to sell it. Do you know what that one thing is? No. The name. So if you bought this movie in Walmart, you bought Heavy Metal Apocalypse. Oh, my God. Yeah. Walmart does a lot of that shit. Like, they don't sell uncensored versions of music and stuff like that. Yeah. So don't buy your shit from Walmart because you're going to get this edited, (laughs) cut down bullshit. (laughs) Apparently, also, 
Jason Lee Howden said there's a new movie coming out called Gormageddon, but he, he announced that years ago when this movie first came out. It's called Deathgasm Part 2 Gormageddon, and he's hyping it up as being go- more gory and bigger and better than the first one, but fucking crickets since then. We have no idea what's happening with this sequel. Plus, I don't ever approve of people trying to say, oh, we're going to top the last one. Right. Why don't you say we're going to try and make it as good as the last one? Right. (laughs) But, you know, you're trying to hype up your movie. Right, but Deathgasm is really good. And telling me that your next one's going to blow that one out of the water is setting my expectations way too high. Yeah. So with that said, Kelsey, what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? It better have a high score. I'm going to hope for an 80. 87. Oh my gosh, good. Deathgasm plums the blood-splattered depths of grindhouse gore with enough giddy glee to satisfy genre enthusiasts looking for a thrill. Its Metacritic average, though, is 65. It's one of those things where, like, almost everyone loved it, but they're not fooling themselves like it's some sort of masterpiece. That's what that score means to me. What would you give it? I'm going to give it an 85. I think 85 is perfect. I will agree with you. I will also give it an 85. We... Totally agreed on both these movies here. We gave it the same exact score. 60 for Rock and Roll Nightmare, 85 for Deathgasm. This movie is not perfect, but it's really good. Yeah. Did the guy do anything before this? I think a bunch of shorts. You know how that happens. They end up, you know, the first big thing. He's done a lot of uh, other things. Like he's a visual effects artist. And so he's worked on... Right. But he's worked on a lot of movies. He's worked on The Avengers. He's worked on War for the Planet of the Apes. He worked on The Hobbit movies. So he's like, he is a professional visual effects artist. And you can see it. You're right. In this movie. But as far as like directing things, he did Guns Akimbo just recently, which we haven't seen yet. That's the only other thing he's done. That's not a short. Well, this was very impressive for a first feature length film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's. You know, it does have some immature humor, but I mean, given the subject matter, if it didn't have that, it'd be weird. Yeah, I think I'd be disappointed if he hasn't matured a little bit for Guns Akimbo, which again, haven't seen, so I don't know. But it looked interesting. The The concept of Guns Akimbo being, this guy has guns permanently attached to his hands, and there's some sort of, it's like, it looks like a wannabe crank. The Jason Statham movie. Interesting. So. Thank you very much, Jake. Yeah, thank you, Jake. And Nina. So that is our heavy metal episode. <laughs> with 19- And what an epic yes. week it was. Uh-huh. With our classic film 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare and our modern film 2015's Deathgasm. I will be recommending that to a lot of people. Oh, totally. With that in the can, what's on deck for next week? Next week, we're going to have another guest star. Yes. Our friend Eileen is going to guest star with us next week. Yeah. When we do a double, uh, we call it a double feature. Yeah, well, there's a reason we're pairing it up. Perfect Blue and Black Swan, and we are very excited. We love these movies. Chris loves Black Swan even more than, a lot more than I do, I would say, but I do like it a lot, and I do love... Oh, Perfect, Perfect Blue. Blue is fantastic. It's a Satoshi Kon movie. He died 10 years ago, so he hasn't made anything new. But you might have seen other things that he's done. He did Paprika. He did Tokyo Godfathers. He did Paranoia Agent. So if, like, you're into anime... 
I had not seen this before. I had not seen any of those films before, and I had never seen Perfect Blue until Chris showed it to me. Yes. Like a decade ago. We've known each other for over a decade. And when he showed it to me, I loved it so much. What did I do? You ended up dressing up as the main character for Halloween. I did. And with a custom-made outfit. I did. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's an awesome dress. It's that pop outfit that she's wearing, the white and pink one. It doesn't fit me anymore. <laughs> I've g- gained some pounds in the, uh, the hips area, but I will show you a picture of the dress so, on Twitter. The reason these two are connected is because Darren Aronofsky owns the rights to this movie to like remaking it in America. And he ended up making a movie that's tangentially related. You'll be able to see when we watch it that they're they're very similar in a lot of ways, but it's not just a live action remake of Perfect Blue. It's different in a lot of ways too. But he already owned the rights to this movie well before he made Black Swan. Because he bought the rights to Perfect Blue. That's right. Just so he could do the bath scene in Requiem for a Dream. That's right. I forgot about that. Which yeah. comes from Perfect Blue. The scene where she's hunched over and screams yeah, into the water. face down in the water. Yeah, that is pulled completely directly from Perfect Blue. And he's not ripping it off. He bought the rights just so he could do that. So now he has the rights to Perfect Blue. He makes kind of a spin-off-y reinterpretation of it. Instead of a pop star, we have a ballet star. We're going to tell you guys right now, go ahead and watch both of these Oh, movies. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're both incredible. I love, love, love them. And next week is going to be a love fest, so... Yeah, <laughs> be prepared for that. <laughs> Hopefully Eileen will love it as much as we do. She's seen Black Swan, but she has not seen Perfect Blue. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So make sure you join us next week. In the meantime, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. Follow us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written reviews are the biggest help there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Uh, we have a minimal presence on Instagram and YouTube as well. You can follow us under the same names there. Sharing us with your friends is a huge help. And, of course, the biggest thing you do for us each and every week is listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Let's tune our weapons. Cola. I think the happiest I've ever been is when I was working at the candy store. Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, job-wise. Uh-huh. I mean, work-wise. Uh-huh. Well, it depends. Do you count the bees? Oh, God. No, I can't say this because we haven't learned it yet. Because this was actually a lot of... <clears throat> We accept the challenge. Bana bana ba, bana bana ba, bana bana ba.
Do you know what that is? That sounds like Mario Kart. It is Mario Kart. <sighs> you gonna do this or what? Let me wet my whistle. Which... Well, that tongue wasn't made for Latin. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That's a joke from yes, the movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, Jesus. Obviously, that's not going to be. <laughs> the blind one is coming. He's going to suck out your intestines for a thousand years and use your ribs as toothpicks. Repair shop like a car repair store. Store. Like a car repair shop. Hold on a second. I need to look up New Zealand time zones. <laughs> Philosophy is the same as magic. <laughs> So make sure you join us next week. Until then, I've been Chris. Nope.